0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Well, in the brief window of time that I have this morning, I mostly want to sing the praises of our faithful God. He is a promise maker and a promise keeper. Throughout the Bible, we hear this refrain where God declares, I will be your God and you will be my people. Over and over again, He tells us that He has bound Himself to His people in love. And that is a promise that he cannot forget, nor will he ever let go. And in the events of that first holy week, from Jesus' entry into Jerusalem, to his death on the cross and his rising again from the grave, Jesus faithfully keeps the promises of God to his people. And in so doing, he brings salvation to the whole world, rescuing us from eternal death and sorrow and inviting us To live in his perfect love forever. And if you're here this morning, it might be that in some small way or perhaps in a large way, you're you're wondering, you're you're hoping, you're you're desiring, you're wanting to know, is that love for me? Is that love for me too? And the answer is yes. Yes. If you hold fast to God, he will hold fast to you and never let go. That's his promise. So in Palm Sunday, we see Jesus on the donkey, coming down the Mount of Olives. Before him, cloaks are spread out like a red carpet, and palm branches are being waved as people sing his praises. And this image of him coming down the mountain evokes for us uh, two other images— The first is that of a king, a king in all his pomp, with his attendants and courtiers all around, singing his praises as he comes into the royal city. And indeed, there is a story from the Old Testament that serves as an important backdrop to the Palm Sunday processional story. And it's of Solomon, David's son, who was to be king after David. But as David was nearing his death, one of Solomon's brothers usurped the throne, and when Solomon heard of it, he grabbed the high priest. And the commander of the army, he took other powerful people and he set them before him. And Solomon himself rode down the Mount of Olives on David's own mule and had them blow horns and proclaim before him as he went, Here comes the king. Then Solomon went into the city, established his kingdom, and threw out the usurper. There's another image. Uh, That comes to mind when we see Jesus riding the donkey into Jerusalem, and it is actually that of a wedding processional. The groom, in all his glory, with his entourage, coming into the wedding feast to claim his bride as his own. And in the ancient world, you probably know that wedding feasts lasted for several days, and there were processionals and parades, not just for the bride, as, as we still have in our ceremony today, but there were parades and processionals for for many folks, including the groom. So here's the groom, bedecked with glory, entering the wedding feast to claim his bride. So in these two images of king and, and of groom, we see Jesus, the king, going to war against a wicked tyrant who has usurped the throne, who has taken his people captive, and he comes to Jerusalem to fight, to rescue, to take them back and to establish the kingdom as his own forever. We also see Jesus as the groom, as the lover, who refuses to stand passively by while other lovers try to lay claim of his beloved. And with the fierce passion of jealous love, he fights to win the singular devotion and undying affection of his bride and his beloved. So Jesus, on Palm Sunday, He has come to Jerusalem to do battle. And while many among His disciples and among the multitude are confident of His victory, He alone knows that the victory will be won on the cross, the battle will be won there, and the path to victory lies through suffering and death for Him first. He alone knows and understands this. But to be sure, it is to battle He rides and victory. And for those of us who watch and follow behind, we have a choice to follow him or not, to claim him as our king and to say, we are your people or not, to say, we are your beautiful bride and you are our groom, our good and faithful God." So I remember the first wedding that I performed. I was very nervous to get everything right. Uh, And and to add to the complication of of doing something for the first time, it was a bilingual, bicultural wedding, and I wasn't even a priest yet. I was a deacon, but Stuart had given me special permission to perform this wedding because, one, it was for my little brother, and two, there was likely not to be an Anglican priest for probably a 1,000 miles around because this was in the middle of China. My brother married uh, a Chinese woman whose fifth-generation Christian, amazing heritage she has, Uh, So I got to go to China for the wedding and and perform the wedding. Uh, But my brother came to me beforehand and he said, look, this this is a part of China that has not had much Western exposure. So be ready for anything. I said, okay. I'm already a little nervous, but okay. He said, oh, also, by the way, in this culture, they, they have no category for ceremonies where they sit for an hour and watch people talk and do things up front. That just doesn't happen here. So Be ready for anything. So sure enough, the wedding begins, and as my sister-in-law is coming down the aisle, as she's halfway down the aisle, about a dozen people thought, well, that looks like a good idea, and they just jump up out of their seats, and they join her down the aisle. So that at the beginning where I'm saying, do you really want to marry him, and do you really want to marry her? There's like 15 to 20 people just milling around. (laughs) People are getting up and walking all through the sermon, which, you know, I'm used to that. Uh, But (laughs) other places of the service. They're they're doing things. uh, It's taking all my concentration to stay focused. At the vows, the most sacred part of the wedding, I'm holding the mic going back and forth between her and him. And then all of a sudden out of the periphery of my vision, I see this iPhone like two feet away, just (laughs) hanging out there in the air. And somebody, not even family, not a relative has just decided, hey, I want to capture this on video. And they're just standing (laughs) right there. It was actually a great uh, first wedding, because if I had messed up or forgotten anything, nobody would have cared and on the difference. <laughs> but there are actually components to that wedding, specifically the Chinese customs, that struck me in a profound way because I saw in them something deep and meaningful. So on the morning of the wedding in China, the groom, with all his party, shows up to the house of the bride, and he shouts, I'm here, I've come for my bride. And at that moment, all of the bride's family and friends rush to the door and they bar the way and they kind of mock fight and he has to fight through them and beat down the door to get to his beloved. Once he's inside, he starts paying them $5, $10. He has to give money to everybody there. And once he's finally paid them all off, then he can take his bride and they go to the ceremony. They get married and never again will they be apart. So it was a lot of fun to be in with all that and do the mock fighting. But I saw in it, I said, oh my word, this is actually the gospel. Here is Jesus, God come to the earth as a baby, showing up and saying, I'm here, I've come for my beloved. In his ministry, he fights against every opposition that has beat down and held down his people from the fall of man to that time. And so in his ministry, He's saving the lame. He's giving sight to the blind. He's cleansing lepers. He's casting out demons from the demon oppressed. He's showing mercy to the outcast and forgiveness to sinners. And he's standing up to the false shepherds and those who are corrupt and leading the people astray. He faces down every opposition. And finally, at the end, he gives the true and incomparable bride price of his own life. He spills his blood, and he says, this is the price at which I have bought you back. You are precious enough. I gave everything to have you back. And if you want to know this morning, is that true just for all of us in a general sense, or is that true for you individually? Know this for certain. It is true for each and every one of you, as it is true for the corporate body of Christ. Jesus says, I gave everything to have you. And of course, on the day of resurrection, like in that very first marriage and wedding at the beginning of time, when Adam woke up from his deep sleep and looked upon his wife for the first time and said, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. So too, in the morning of resurrection and in the glory of resurrection light, Jesus looks upon his disciples the church in a new way. And he says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and I will never be me apart from you ever again. And nothing shall separate you from me. Come away with me, my beloved. And it's in light of these things that we say with the prophet Isaiah, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him, and he has saved us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This is our God, the faithful one. This is our God, the Savior of the world. There is no greater love than this. But as I said before, it is a jealous love. It is the love... Of passion that refuses to let any other lover have his beloved and we know that Jesus was somewhat of a lightning rod wasn't he he was a fork in the road you could not be neutral about Jesus people either loved him or they hated him and this love this all-consuming fierce passionate jealous love demands a response it demands a choice Earlier I said you might be here with a question in your heart, is this love for me? I said the answer is yes. But God has a question for you also today. His question is, will you give yourself to me? All of you? Give me your whole self to me? I have given everything for you. I do want something in return and that something that I want is everything. I want your everything. What bride on the day of her wedding wants to hear her groom say, and with some of what I am and a part of what I have, I thee wed? What husband wants to hear his bride say on their wedding day, and with a little bit of who I am and part of what I own, I give myself to you? Jesus wants... Our whole selves. We have a choice, and on that first Palm Sunday, and on that first Good Friday, we see there were two distinct and very different reactions to Jesus, weren't there? On Palm Sunday, there were the disciples with freedom and exuberance singing and paving the way for their king as he came into his own. There were also the Pharisees, who said, rebuke your disciples. Shut this down. This is not appropriate. All the more so on that first Good Friday, the kings of this earth and the rulers of the people and the soldiers stood far off, and they scoffed, and they mocked, and they scorned. And with cynicism in their hearts, they held God At more than an arm's length and said, if you really were, you would come down from the cross. You would display your power. And with contempt, they mocked and scorned while the good thief understood, and the women drew near in spite of their danger. Now, this morning, Like I said, most of us here in this room, we're not all one or all the other. We're not all faithful disciples living out with exuberant freedom our life in Christ. Nor are we probably all completely the cynical, mocking scoffer, utterly opposed to God. But for most of us, as it is for me, there's a mixture within, isn't there? A part of us longs for that freedom to live out our life in Christ with that exuberance, that childlikeness. But there's a part of us that scoffs. There's a part of us that mocks. There's the cynical part of us, isn't there? If we acknowledge this to be true, then we have to say, yes, in here there is the cynical scoffer too. And as much as we hate to admit it, yes, in here there is the contemptuous mocker, who more often than I would like to admit looks out on others with disdain, looks down on them, separates myself from others, and in my own eyes justifies myself while I scorn and have disdain for others. And we do this to God as well. We hold God at arm's length. Sometimes we view Him questioningly. We say, well, if, if you really were the kind of God that I think you should be, you would fill in the blank. If you really were loving, if you really were God in the way that I think you ought to be God, you would fill in the blank. And More than we would like to admit that cynic and the scoffer and the mocking voice is in here. Well, what if today Jesus said, what would you like? Would you like to be free of that part of you that's beholden to the cynic and the scoffing voice? What if Jesus came here today and this holy week and said, what if you could be all childlike freedom following me in your life in Christ? Would you say yes to that? Would you say yes, Jesus, set me free from the cynical, scoffing mocking voice. Or perhaps there is something else for you in your life this morning that quenches the spirit in your life, that keeps you from full freedom in following the Lord. Well, may he reveal it to you today and this week and as we enter into Holy Week, into contemplating those great mysteries which comprise our very life and salvation. As we enter in, may we with new resolve Give ourselves wholly over to the Lord. Let us grant him permission to search our souls with his shining light and show us any part of ourselves that we hold back from him. Let us give that over to him until we, being fully formed in him, may be found on the last day faithful, even as he himself is faithful. Amen. Thanks for listening.